Welcome, everyone. We're going to get started for this amazing PassiveCon interview number 27. So I'm going to be your interviewer. So I'm super thrilled to be here with everyone. Now that everybody can hear us, hopefully we're going to move forward. Let me introduce what we're doing. Let me introduce our amazing guest. For everybody, I'm DC Gomez. I'm a multi-java author. I'm an award winner, podcaster. So I do a little bit of everything. So I'm loving that I'm here in this community. For those of you guys who are new, we are definitely a community of writers. We're united by a passion of writing. And one of our things that we do is imp board improv. So for those of you who are not following what we do, but welcome to our community. I'm excited you are here. So what is board improv? Let me give a little background. It's a writing challenge where writers write a story using a set of new words. And new is new to you, new to us. It's a combination of things. A story is broadly defined. It can be a tale, a poem, a skit, whatever you want. There is no character's minimum. You can learn new words and participate in word improv. So you all you got to do is follow word sleuth on Instagram right here. So if you're not following us, you should. It's absolutely fabulous. And the purpose of today is we're doing the past of the pond. So last week, I got to be interviewed by the base and Ms. Milan. Today, I get to have the opportunity to pass this on to another incredible author. So I am beyond believe who I have the opportunity to do it. So let me bring her, introduce you to you guys, because this is going to be one of those days they're like, ooh, I'm like a little kid on candy. I have the amazing Miss Carol Van Den Hamden. It's an award-winning author who pens stories of resilience and hope. So madame, for that, let me thank you. Her novels, Orchid Blooming and Goodbye Orchid, are inspired by wounded veterans and have won over 30 variety and design awards, including the American Fiction Award, an outstanding fiction first novel, and the Royal Dragon Award for cultural diversity and disability awareness. So BuzzFeed, Parade, and Travel Plus Luxury named Carol's books as most anticipated read. Glamour Magazine recommended her modern important take on the power of love. So the International Cultwood Queen selected Goodbye Orchid as a 2022 bonus of the book month and Orchid Blooming as a 2023 International Book of the War Month. So congratulations. So what is Kel's mission, if you guys are wondering? So here's the most beautiful thing. It's unlocking optimism as a writer, speaker, strategy, born member of a climate reality, one speaker to her good fortune, her humorous hobby, and twins who prove that love really does conquer all. So Madame, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks for that warm welcome, DC. And I loved your interview as well last week. It is such a, it's such a fun community. It's so full of just amazing love. So yeah. yes. So we're going to kick it off because you're going to be reading a war improv from another author. So we're going to start with that. So for our viewers who are wondering what is war improv, you're going to have an opportunity to share with them. So I'm going to turn it over to you so you can do the reading. Absolutely. And thanks so much for passing the baton. I um, am very happy to get the baton. And we're going to have to talk about candy since you talked about candy shop a moment ago, <laughs> given the company where I work. So the reading I'm doing is from Mystic by Anurag, and I would say, please follow him on Instagram. Such an interesting person. He and I had a chance to do a Zoom, even though he's in Saudi Arabia, he's um, in Bahrain, and uh, here I am in New Jersey in the US. We were able to meet each other despite the eight hour time difference, and he gave me a little insight into this piece that I'm gonna read. So uh, let me read it and then I can share. I think there are, so as all of the word sleuth um, competitions happen, they have six different words that are usually fairly little known words, rare words that are put into this piece. Some of them are hard to pronounce. So I will go ahead and fess up right now that one of the words I do not know how to pronounce, it's something like pulchritudinous, something like that. It means um, 
something else. I'll just use the definition instead of the word itself because I cannot pronounce it when I read the piece. This is from number 34. In the town of old by the sea, there lived a woman proud and free. Her beauty was beyond compare, comely with golden hair. She was a harbinger of change, a leader, strong and not estranged. She ruled her people with an iron hand, domineering, she commanded the land. But her heart was filled with a deep cathexis, a longing for love that left her perplexed. She searched the land high and low, but her true love she could not know. One day, while swimmingly she roamed, she met a man who made her heart moan. He was a pickthank with no real worth, but to her, he was a gem of infinite mirth. She fell in love with all her soul, but little did she know he had a goal to take her power and rule the land, leaving her with nothing but empty hands. She stood up and fought with might, her people by her side, ready to fight. The pickthank fled with no more gain, and the woman ruled once again. Um, such a pretty piece, such hard words to use. And, you know, so interesting what he told me when I met with Anurag was that pieces just flow out of him. He did not, you know, there wasn't a ton of editing and crafting and structuring. It just came out in this way, you know, that when he writes, he's in flow. And I can really relate to that. I can relate to a few um, aspects of this. One, that idea of being in creative flow, which um, I think writers absolutely adore that feeling that there is no sense of time, you have no sense of, you know, your surroundings because you're so lost in the craft. And then also, he writes about a woman who is strong, resilient. And that is the characters in my books as well. I'm sure we're going to have a chance to talk about Orchid Page, the main character in the trilogy. Um, and she, although um, may have had tragedy in her background that makes her quite sensitive, Ultimately, she is really resilient. And that's actually the reason I named her Orchid, because orchids have a reputation for being delicate. In fact, I've been given many orchids as gifts since my Goodbye Orchid series came out, and I'm always worried that I'm going to kill them. But orchidologists, people who study orchids, say that in the wild, orchids are actually quite resilient and hardy. And that's so beautiful, and that's why I had to name my character Orchid. I have been looking at your website and everything you do, and you have so much. You are literally a publisher. You have a publisher's bar. You're a speaker. You're a writer. You're doing workshops everywhere. So let's jump in. By the way, thank you for reading that beautiful piece because I was like, ah, I love the fact that you picked it, and it goes so well with your themes as well. So tell us a little bit about, hey, let's start with the series. How long have you been writing this series? And you mentioned a little bit why. You mentioned what made you decide to actually write it. It is such an interesting origin story. All writers have such interesting origin stories for where their writing comes from. And so for mine, I started writing. And now I have to say it's almost a decade ago when I first started writing. And really, I was writing initially for myself as a place of solace when we were going through a hard time with one of our twins. And in that time of difficulty, I had seen stories in the news about combat wounded veterans. They really inspired me because of the strength and resilience that they demonstrated to get back to good, despite whatever happened at war, really hard times. And so uh, as I was writing the story, I thought I was writing for myself. I ended up joining a writer's group in which we would critique each other aloud. We would sit around Mary Lee's kitchen table and read our pieces aloud 
to get feedback. I read a portion of my debut novel, Goodbye Orchid, aloud to that group of writers, and I was able to bring them to tears. Because in the scene, the main character, Phoenix Walker, wakes in the hospital after a life-changing accident, sees what's happened to himself, and realizes he will never be the same again. And when I brought that table of writers to tears, I thought, well, maybe I'm not only writing for myself, that my words have power to move people, have, wor- have power to connect with people. And I've learned now that my words have the power to deepen empathy. And so I started pursuing the path of publication at that point. And so my debut novel came out in 2020. My uh, prequel, Orchid Blooming, came out last fall in October of 2022. And I'm so excited that the third in the trilogy, Always Orchid, we just had a cover reveal by Bookish um, from NetGalley, is coming out this October. I was going to ask you because I thought it said coming up in 2023. So the release is official for this October. Congratulations. This is such a beautiful series. And I love the fact that you said it's not just for me, it's for other people. Because you have, your goal is to inspire hope and healing. So you mentioned that very well as you decided to come up. When you started writing book one, did you know it's going to be a trilogy? I did not. In fact, I had put out Goodbye Orchid as, um, you know, Kohler Books actually published Goodbye Orchid in 2020. And what I found when I had the amazing experience of meeting readers, which I adore meeting readers, is that they wanted more. So I met with book clubs and they said, we love Goodbye Orchid and, you know, this um, drama between Phoenix and Orchid. Phoenix believing that after this life-changing accident, perhaps he is not enough for Orchid and longing for her and thinking about her, but actually remembering because of the tragedy in her past that she might be um, too sensitive to images of trauma and feeling that he may, in order to protect her, need to leave her without explaining why. That's the central drama in Goodbye Orchid, and it is an emotional roller coaster. What I found when I met readers and book clubs is that they wanted to know both what happened before page one of Goodbye Orchid. Tell me more about the relationship between Phoenix and Orchid and how they got to this point. They also wanted more after the last page of Goodbye Orchid. Okay. So what happens after, you know, the emotionally satisfying ending, they wanted more. And so when I have gone back, now book clubs have had me back multiple times, the same book clubs, because they loved the first book, wanted to discuss the second book. And when I went back and told them that they were the ones that inspired me to turn Goodbye Orchid into a trilogy, they said they teared up. They were like, that is so moving that you did this for us. So it really had to do with reader input and feedback. A lot of authors do take a huge step based on what the readers are saying. So the fact that you went back and said, you know, I can fill in the blanks. I can give you that. It's such a beautiful thing for your readers. And the fact that they recognize it is, is blowing and it's just amazing. So you do in book clubs. What do you do when you go present to a book club? Because a lot of authors don't have that opportunity, especially during the shutdown. But what are some of those tips you can give them when you go talk to a book club? It is so fun to talk to book clubs because they're really interested in authors and the behind-the-scenes author life. So one, I can definitely share that inspiration, the inspiration from Combat Wounded Veterans. And readers do um, relate to that. There are readers who have military veterans in their families and really are happy that the Goodbye Orchid series is able to raise money for military veterans through USA Cares. 
So they really want to hear about the inspiration. They want to hear about the behind the scenes, the writing process, the writing life. A lot of times I get the question, how do I do it all given that I have a full-time job and the twins and um, the writing and publishing and speaking. And so I love to talk about that. All of that's really fun. And I have to say each book club brings their own personality to the experience itself. You know, book clubs are incredibly warm, welcoming places. These are people who get together, you know, however often, usually it's every month, and they're discussing some really meaty topics because, you know, the themes that come up in our books, including Goodbye Orchid, including mm -hmm. your work, these are really meaningful themes and they become discussion worthy. And it is a way for people to process what's happening in their lives. And I think that's so beautiful, that connection between authors and readers to be able to do that and to do it live in a book club setting is amazing. In fact, it's great that you're asking me about book clubs because recently I had the great pleasure to meet with the literary libationists in a wine library in which they had come up with a full cocktail menu that was named after each of the main characters in the book and a reason for the cocktails or cocktails that were mentioned in the books. As well, they bought, bought an entire bottle of Chinese baijiu, which shows up in the Goodbye Orchid series. And we all toasted with this Chinese fire water, just like Phoenix and Orchid did in the series. They had um, custom discussion questions, even though the back of my books have discussion questions in them for book clubs. They came up with their own discussion questions. It was such a fun evening. And then at the end, they gifted me this scarf that I'm wearing has orchids on it. They gifted this to me as a way to remember literary libationists, to thank me for my time. And I really treasure this. This is so lovely to have this, you know, um, connection between authors and readers. Okay, that is just beautiful in so many different ways. And it's such a passion and the fact that they wanted to bring your books to life, that they did it in such a way that is, you know, we're going to tactile, we're going to create it. And it's all inspired by your books. So congratulations. That's a beautiful experience. So I have fun. the same question. How do you do it all? Because let's talk a little bit about you as a founder and president of a zine press. What is this? And when do you find the time to do it all? So I, I'm all about like this, your readers. I'm like, do tell us, how did you manage that? <laughs> And we could ask you the same question, DC, because you have a very impressive bio and you do a lot too. And you've described your time as working multiple full-time jobs, which is how I feel as well. So I can relate to that part. Okay, I can relate. Yeah. You know, so Azine Press, I'm very proud to have founded a publishing company that is registered as a B Corp, a benefits corporation. A lot of people don't know that benefits corporation is an option when it comes to businesses. I just spoke at IBPA, Independent Book Publishing Conference, um, book convention. Actually, they have their publisher university conference in, um, they had it in San Diego. I spoke about the option to create a B Corp because I want more people to know that there's this um, option between a nonprofit and a for-profit because a B Corp is a for-profit that has environmental and social justice goals built right into its mission. So Azine Press is registered as a B Corp. My mission statement absolutely has environmental social justice goals built right into it, which is consistent with my overall goal to inspire hope and empathy for people and planet. And so it was really important for me to um, create it as a B Corp. Right now, that, that publishing company is publishing my Goodbye Orchid trilogy and other works to come. 
as I get up to speed and learn, then I'll be able to help other authors along this journey too. And so I'm looking forward to that further, you know, step up in, in the company. Um, I think that was part one of your question. I might've lost part two. <laughs> oh, how do I do it all? <laughs> the juggling. Yes. So there's two. Yeah. So um, that was the zine press. I often say there's two answers to how to do it all. I mean, one, I find the clearer I am about my purpose, about my why, the more passion and energy I have to do the things I love. So I absolutely love my corporate day job in which I get to, which I've worked as a marketer, as a strategist. I currently govern our digital transformation. Really interesting, intellectually challenging. I work for a purpose-driven company whom I adore and actually happens to be in the confectionery category. One of the categories is confectionery. So when you said candy shop, I had a smile inside. Um, I also adore my writing and publishing and public speaking. And so I find passion and I find energy to do that because it is so clear to me as a way to deliver my why. And likewise, that's why I love serving on boards of trustees and I'm actually seeking my next board role is because I think that's a meaningful way to give back to the world. In fact, it's probably a reason I really love being able to read somebody else's piece to kick off this interview because it's a way to pay it forward, to shine a light on other people's amazing work. And so, you know, in terms of how to do it all, I think it is finding where you have your passion. And then the second answer I'd give is I did dedicate my debut novel to my husband because he Aww. really helps me. <laughs> he makes sure the household runs so that I can be the best person I can be. And that support is just invaluable. And I'm so thankful to him for that. Hi, Ms. Carol. All of that is beautiful. And I'm like, I don't know how we unpack it in this short amount of time that we have. But you're doing everything that is very purpose-driven. And sometimes I think we get so busy trying to do all the small things of the business. You know, are we publishing the book? Are we promoting the book? Are we doing all these things? That the purpose tends to get lost. But you're very clear. You know your why. And it seems very much like if everything doesn't fit within that why, you're not doing it. Is that right? I do say no to things because um, I have to, to be able to stay clear on my why and to really prior, you know, I prioritize. I prioritize at work, I prioritize outside of work to really help make space. In fact, that's part of the reason I, um, although Vlad was so kind to ask me to write a piece for today, I had to say very honestly, I'd love to, and I love the words and I learned so much from Word Sleuth and I love the community that I couldn't um, actually write one myself. And so that's an example of something I had to say no to, even though in my heart, of course, I'd want to say yes. Um, but, you know, you do have to make those choices in life to make your own space, to keep your own, you know, mental health good. Um, you have to prioritize those things for yourself. Okay. okay. That is absolutely powerful. And sometimes I think as authors and creators, we get stretched so thin because we think we have to do it all. So I love your authenticity. I love the fact that you're very much aware, like, I can't. And some things, even if they're amazingly powerful, I just can't do them. So that is amazing. I'm like, that's a huge, amazing advice for anybody who's watching. If you're allowed to say no, that is absolutely amazing. Let's talk a little bit about your public speaking because you have a huge resume here. When did you start doing this? Yeah, there's such a good story. I love that question because there's such a fun story behind why I started public speaking. When I joined the writer's community, 
I showed up for one of these writing meetings. We were actually at that point, this was pre-COVID. So we were meeting in person in a you know, ballroom in a hotel and we would introduce ourselves. So the first meeting I show up, I stand up and I introduce myself. I said, I'm a marketer at Mars Incorporated and I write contemporary fiction. And I actually heard like an audible gasp arise from the audience when I introduced myself. And initially, I thought to myself, ooh, this audience resonates with Mars. They must like chocolate. These are my people. And there is truth to that. But what I realized later, actually that very same day when we had lunch together, is that what they really were interested in was that marketing background. And they wanted to know how you know, could they improve their own marketing? Because so much is on the author's shoulders to market their books themselves. Uh-huh. And so I was called, you know, I say that I was called to speaking because the writers I was meeting, were, they were asking me to speak and share my expertise, share my knowledge. And so now over time, what I've done is I've really translated my decades of experience in marketing and strategy and insights to say what is relevant and actionable for authors. I speak on a few main topics. One, I help authors understand the concept of brand and how to personally brand themselves. Two, I talk about visual identity or the ways in which to translate that brand promise into cover design, into visual identity. Third, I do talk about marketing strategies and tactics, but it's not in the typical way you might hear in conferences where people are talking a lot about, you know, um, the details of where should you buy paid ads or what email service providers should you use? I mean, those are very useful. What I'm able to add that's incremental to the publishing and writing community is a perspective on the strategic framework first and being clear about that, you know, going back to our prioritization conversation before identifying what the tactics are. And I find that clarity I'm able to add is really helpful to authors. More recently, I was just asked to speak about how to um, interact with readers in live situations. Now that the pandemic is largely, you know, kind of a little bit in the rearview mirror, not as, you know, bright for us. And therefore, we are able to get into in-person events. And we're going back to bookstores and libraries and book festivals. Authors are interacting with readers face-to-face. And sometimes authors are uncomfortable with that. And so I've broken down my process of how I do it and created a framework that is going to be teachable, that I'm going to teach authors how to actually think about pitching your books in a live face-to-face environment. That is huge because a lot of the things that we see is authors in general are very uncomfortable talking about their books. Like nobody wants to be stealthy. Nobody wants to come across as pushy, but sometimes we miss the connection with the readers. So that is huge. What advice would you give them? Because let's be honest, everybody who's looking is like, What do I do? What is step one to get me out of this? I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. So one of, I love that question. One of the classes I teach is about mindset shifts. I actually talk about four myths that sometimes we carry inside ourselves and ways to overcome those myths to help us to be more effective at marketing. I'd say, and I'm going to share one tip right now, but first let me just back up for a moment to say that marketing, although it might seem like people think of it as a dirty word, they feel like, oh, it's kind of icky, it's self-promotion, it's, um, I don't feel good, it's cringy, um, or as my teens would say, it's so cringe, so cringe, mom. Um, 
But actually, I, the, the mindset shift I'd love to share that can be a helpful tip, if authors are feeling that way, if authors are feeling like it's icky to shine the spotlight on themselves, I actually want to go back to that, that idea of a why, of your passion, what's driving your mission. Because if you're clear about your mission and that that's the reason you're trying to connect with readers, that will actually change the spotlight. The spotlight isn't on us as authors. The spotlight is on the reader, the ways in which you're solving problems for readers. And the spotlight is on the mission you have and the themes that you're shining a light on. And so for me, inspiring hope and empathy for people and planet, that really motivates me. People actually um, need that. They want to deepen their empathy. They get benefit from feeling empathetic or walking in someone else's shoes. And when we do a good job as authors and we're creating characters that are so alive and people can relate to them, they are deepening empathy. And so when I remember that that's my mission and the reason I want to meet readers, the reason I want to um, introduce them to Orchid Page and to Phoenix Walker and the challenges and tribulations they go through is because those challenges and tribulations and the way that the characters overcome them are relevant for readers for people and help them. And afterwards, they have learned something about themselves, about the world, about people who ha who've had experiences that they haven't personally had. Then all of that means that the marketing isn't icky. The marketing is actually to serve the mission. And in the end, marketing is simply the art and science of finding and connecting with your readers. It doesn't have to be so complicated and it doesn't have to be icky. Ooh, I love that. The art and science of finding your readers and connecting with your readers. You have said something that I think as many authors really miss it is that it is an art. It is a science and that we are always creating. And by being able to look at it that way, it changes your perception. It's such a mind change completely. I absolutely love it. So before we bring our alternative guest, so Mr. Anthony Curtis has been joining us, so he's going to jump in in here so we can have an even bigger discussion. I want you to tell us right before, you know, we still do it or pass the baton. Where can our viewers learn more about this workshop? So tell us a little bit about that before we bring Mr. Anthony in. Uh, where they and can a little bit about find, oh, go ahead. Information about you and also your upcoming workshop and books. Great. Um, yes, I would love that. I would love for people to definitely learn ab about my books um, and meet Orchid Page, you know, this beautiful 27-year-old half-Asian marketer in the beauty industry who faces tragedy in her childhood and really learns about herself in the process and actually um, faces her PTSD. And when Anthony comes on, that might be a, a point of conversation that could be interesting given his background. And so they can definitely learn about the books and also about my workshops on my website. So carolvandenhenda.com. I know it's quite a mouthful, so maybe I'll spell it in case anybody is trying to look for it. So C-A-R-O-L-V as in Victor, A-N-D-E-N-H-E-N-D-E.com. If you do slash speaking, that will actually bring you to my events page in which you'll see a combination of both reader events as well as professional speaking in which I'm speaking at either publishing conferences like IBPA or at writers conferences. I've spoken at um, many and I have um, some coming up which you can see and, and you can sign up. There are certain writers events where they open it up to the public so people who aren't members of a particular writing organization can pay a small fee and 
and join for the workshop. And I do think those are worth it. It's always great for us to grow as writers. And another place, if anybody's trying to find me on social media, is my link tree. So L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash C-V-D-H is a great way to just see where my um, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, um, TikTok, all of that is so that um, we can connect on, on social media. I would love that. Awesome. So let's bring this to Anthony because he has, he was actually the very first guest of Pass the Baton. So I am excited that he's joining us. Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you both? We're wonderful. You're joining us from the UK. So I know everybody's like, we're looking all across. I'm in Texas. <laughs> Miss Carol is in New Jersey. You're in the UK. So we're tapping into everything. So you have a whole bunch of different world experience. So any questions you have for Miss Carol, let's jump in. So yes, yeah, it's just fascinating, really. Uh, you know, every author we, we we look at, we interview, and I, I hear it has a has a, a completely different um, story about who they are and how they they they, they come to writing. So it, it, yeah, it's fascinating to hear yours. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. So so, uh, so yeah, the, the the question I had is 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 I'm I'm in the middle of um, designing the the third cover. The, the cover for my third book that's coming out. And I noticed your covers are beautiful. You know, very similar, gorgeous orchids on there, lovely color scheme. So do you, do you design your covers yourself or do you um, outsource that somewhere? Yeah, so I'm happy to talk about the cover design process. My debut novel, Goodbye Orchid, came out from Kohler Books. And I had the wonderful opportunity to collaborate with a designer named Kelly Emery, for the initial Goodbye Orchid cover. And since then, the other two, Orchid Blooming and Always Orchid, have been with um, Sarah Flood Bauman. And she has her own design company. And, and actually the work has been award-winning. Book Excellence Awards has awarded this series for book cover design, as well as other, you know, um, at the, it's won a Golden Addy. There've been other design awards that these books have won, um, not only for the cover, but also the interior so there's a hidden Easter egg design detail, which I'll show you in a moment. But I do want to answer your question about how you think about design, because it's not that I design the covers myself, but I teach this course in which I talk about this translation of your brand promise into visual identity, including your book cover. And I talk about the importance of really respecting the designers and the expertise that they bring and being able to inspire them through a brief and through a collaborative process instead of thinking about it as transactional. Sometimes I hear um, writers saying, oh, can, you know, who can tell me who's a good designer or a bad designer? It doesn't actually always come down to good or bad. It's actually how well you have to take some responsibility as an author. How well can you brief and inspire your designer? You can have the same designer produce work that's not so great and work that is stellar. And that comes down to how well you as an author or your publisher can really inspire them. And so I think that idea of a brief and the collaboration are really important. Um, I think I lost a thought in there, but I do want to, before I forget it, to show you, there's also this wonderful interior design detail. So you see in this case, um, in Always Orchid, the orchids are actually blooming to show the growth of the characters. I'm not sure if you can be able to see, but the bottom right corner of every page also has orchids. And when you flip through the pages, the orchids are going to appear to blossom until you get to the depths of the story. And then they visually come together 
for the emotionally satisfying ending. It's like okay. a flipbook feature inside the book, and the books have won awards for interior design as well. That yeah, is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Nice Anthony, I might have missed part of your question, so apologies if you wanted to um, <laughs> circle back with me on something. No, that's great. I think, yeah, you're right. The, the collaboration is, is essential, and you as the author have that, that responsibility as well, not just to hand it over. Yeah. And so, so my other question was on um, your, your character, Orchid, is in marketing as well. So how much of the character is, is from your background? I mean, as you know, both of you as authors probably have this experience as well. There's parts of us, of course, that show up in our characters. There's parts of us, um, and not only the backgrounds, but also the emotional authenticity that shows up in our characters. And then, of course, it is fiction. So there is a lot that's added, you know, that is imagination that we get to explore, which is part of what is so fun and what gets us into flow, you know, the stuff that we get to make up. Um, so there's, you know, there's, it, and it's hard to pull those apart. How much is, you know, from our actual lives, how much is fiction, but I would say, yes, Orchid works in an industry that I'm familiar with. So although my stories are inspired by combat wounded veterans, they're not military veterans themselves. They do live in the world that I work. And so, which I'm familiar with Phoenix Walker is the head of an ad agency. He's the successful entrepreneur and founder of an agency. And I love working with agencies. In my marketing uh, days, I've loved working with packaging, promotions, advertising, naming, all kinds of agencies. And absolutely, Orchid works as a marketer in the beauty industry. And that is something, you know, I understand that world. And in fact, the two of them, when they meet, it is a work relationship. And they do work on a brief together. You know, we just talked about briefing design agencies or designers. And so the two of them do work on a brief together. And Orchid has promised herself um, that she is going to keep this relationship work all work, except the chemistry makes it really hard to do so. <laughs> so that's what happens in the prequel, in the first in the series in Orchid Blooming. You know, in fact, what she's most motivated by is um, because she did lose her parents at a young age, she, and she's half Asian. Now what she wants as an adult more than anything is to win a work trip to China to feel closer to the memory of her mother and accept that trip is really competitive. And her boss says she needs more advertising experience to try to have a chance to win the trip. And so when she meets mm -hmm. Phoenix, the head of the ad agency, she's a smart cookie. She convinces him to mentor her under the condition that their relationship is work only work. And you can just imagine what might ensue. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you think your um, the writing of Orchid Blooming would, would have been different if it was the first in the series that you wrote rather than the second one, but a prequel? I actually had a lot of Orchid Blooming already, either in my mind or actually on paper when Goodbye Orchid had come out, because that backstory had to be clear to me as an author. And so I think most of it would have been the same. Although when I wrote Orchid Blooming, secrets came out that even I didn't know as an author that the characters told me once I started putting them on page. <laughs> yeah, so there are a lot of fun plot twists and secrets. Yes. <laughs> yes. The characters usually take over and have a, have a life of their own. And yeah. It's, it's great. So if you could offer, if you could offer um, one piece of advice to aspiring 
writers and authors, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, you've already heard me talk about the why with great passion. So I'll offer one other thought, which is, you know, for example, the three of us together and Vlad behind the scenes, it is wonderful to have community. So find or create your community. Find fellow writers. Fellow writers, you know, sometimes when new authors come into the industry, they might think of other writers as competitors, but no, we are colleagues. We are co-workers. This is our community, and it is a wonderful, embracing, warm, giving, generous community. That's why I speak at writers' conferences, to give back, to share my knowledge, to share my expertise, to help others along the journey. And it is a, it's a wonderful place. So find or create your community. Great. What a great piece of advice. Very true. So I, have, I want to back up to something you said about the covers and the branding, because it was such a beautiful description about collaboration, and Anthony, I'm so glad you brought it up. You mentioned something about creating your own personal brand with even your covers. How do you do that? Because sometimes as we're starting out, we're so busy trying to create covers that match a genre that we don't think about our brand. We're not thinking how this matches us as the author or the individual. How did you manage to keep that within your brand as well as the genre you were writing for? Yeah, these are great questions. And I do hope people who are interested in the topic will either join me for a workshop on these topics because these are full, each of those topics is a full workshop. So the idea of personal uh -huh. brand is a full workshop in which I distill down the definition of the word brand because sometimes that causes confusion. People conflate the idea of brand with design or brand and branding, but brand most simply is defined as a promise. Your promise to readers, and it could be even your promise to publishing professionals that you're working with. And so once you have the clarity of that concept, there are different tools that you can use. And actually in my workshop, I walk people through a brand framework so they can articulate their own personal brand for themselves to have that clarity. It can be tools as simple as, um, well, maybe not simple, but it can be tools that you might be familiar with, like the idea of archetype. So sometimes we think about that archetype for our characters. Archetype is simply the 12 universal stories that are told throughout time. Carl Jung famously um, wrote about these and they can be like warrior, caregiver, lover, you know, these 12 archetypes. There's that can be a tool to think about what is your personal brand? What are the archetype or archetypes that you really resonate with? And of course, I can't do a full workshop justice in these few minutes, but to give you a flavor that that's some way to think about your brand. Once you have the clarity of what your brand promises, then you can think, start thinking about how do you translate that into visual identity or into book cover design? And that might show up in the design brief. And of course, every brief is a little different. The briefs I'm accustomed to have a portion on there for personality or tonality. Or what are your unique assets, your visual assets, the memory structure that you're building? Those are things you can articulate in your brief. And those will come out of what's consistent with your personal brand that you identified in your brand framework. Ooh. That is so good. You know, I'm ready. I'm like, I need to take this workshop. That is so on point. And sometimes I think we forget how all those little elements play so well with each other and how well they can express themselves. I love the fact that your books have won awards for 
the design as well as the story itself because it's such a beautiful collaboration. When you were creating these books, what is one thing you learned that you were not prepared for that kind of really got you? I'm like, I didn't see that coming. Hmm. During my whole publication process, something I've learned along the way, I mean, there is so much to learn as I think authors deserve, you know, all to have medals or be on pedestals or something because an author life is really not just the writing. Although perhaps in movies, in books, you know, sometimes it's depicted as that lone art of sitting in front of a keyboard in front of, with your pen and paper, just the writing. The writing is really only one aspect of it. There is an entire realm of marketing skills and capabilities that need to be learned. And if you are, as DCU described that you self-publish, so if you're an uh -huh. indie um, author, then you also need to learn an entire world of publishing skills. How do you go about formatting, hiring, um, you know, developmental editors, copy line editors, where do you find beta readers, proofreaders, all of that. There's, you know, so much along the actual publication process, so much along that marketing art and science of finding and connecting with your readers process, and then the writing itself. So I would just say perhaps you know, to answer the question of what surprised me is the volume of, you know, what is expected and required to be a successful author. In fact, authors are entrepreneurs and business people. And that's why, you know, I speak at conferences to help authors along that journey because they might not, when they initially come, they initially come for the love of the written word, the love of literature. They might not realize that it comes with all of this other stuff too. That is such a good point. And Anthony, you can jump in. I think the biggest surprise to me was to see myself as a business owner. Like, I'm like, wait, I'm running a business? I, I thought I was just writing a book. Like, what happened? Anthony, did you feel that way when you started? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I kind of did, I went the same route um, as you in that I, I started my own publishing company in order to have full, um, full control of, of my writing and the design and, and every aspect of it. And when you do that, you, you have no choice really, but to, to throw yourself into every aspect, that, you know, uh, marketing and, uh, and everything else besides. So yeah, it's a steep learning curve, but one that's so worth it. It's one of those things that once you decide, okay, I'm going to do it, it's going to be a, such a transition and a mind change. And it all goes back to your mindset. What was the hardest mindset going from like, I have, I'm a full-time employee, I have a marketer, now I'm a writer. Did you have to do some mind shift on your own, Ms. Carol, or was something that came natural to you? Hmm. I'm not sure I can point to one cataclysmic event. Perhaps it's just bit by bit, right? I think we all are growing as writers in terms of our craft, we're growing in terms of our marketing, in terms of our publication skills. And so I think um, for sure there have been shifts, but I'm not sure I can point to any particular one. I do have a question for you, which is, you know, given DCU writing series as well, right? Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you find, because now I'm at the end, I'm at the finale of my trilogy. The third one's coming out in October. And I've written each one so that they can be read as standalone. So if, no matter where a reader comes into the trilogy, they can start with book one or book two or book three even. It's written so that it can be understandable. 
So I'm curious how you've approached that for your series. Are readers expected and are they reading them in order? Or are they discovering you and coming in in different places? And are you encouraging that? I have a couple of ones that you can read anywhere. Like I have a children's book and it says it's a series, but it doesn't have to be read in order. What I'm finding out, like my humorous fiction, you can read either one of them. is very similar. You don't have to pick book one to get book two. It's interesting because it depends on the reader. Most of my readers are very much have to read in order. So what I usually get for my urban fantasy, that one has like five novels and three novellas. Readers want to know, how do I read it? And I was like, I need a map. Like I need a, like a timeline so people can gauge because it's very much the concept of people wanting to know why they can read them anywhere. They don't want to. Like a lot of my readers want to know, okay, what is book one? Is one of the novellas goes in between? What is book two? What is book three? So it hasn't become much more of a learning curve for myself. Because I thought I was just going to give you the options to pick them up where you want them and then pick the novellas and read them if you like them. And readers like, yeah, no. How am I supposed to read these books? So now I'm having to back up, and that's something I'm going to do for the end of the year is create this little timeline that people can download so they can see, like, this is, if you want to read them, how I envision them in terms of the writing, here's the process because it has become quite interesting. And it's kind of funny, because I thought I'm, I was giving options to the world, and they're like, nobody wants options. Just tell me how I'm supposed to read it. I was like, oh, okay, we'll fix that. I like this idea of a map. Does that mean then that you wrote them out of order, just like mine are a little out of order, the fact that Goodbye Orchid came out mm -hmm. first, but Orchid Blooming is actually the one to start with. So yes. do you have that as well? You had prequels? I have novellas go in between the novels. Except mm -hmm. that I didn't tell people that. So I have a 1.5. I have a 2.5. I also have mm -hmm. little, like, short stories that people can pick up. Like, where does short stories go? And I'm like, ah, what? So <laughs> I was honestly on this mission, to It's an entire universe of urban fantasy, and each one of them has its place. A lot of the readers want to know where in this universe they go. So as the series, the initial series ended, I have spinoffs of these series. So they want to know, how do I read them? Where does this one pick up? Where does this one? So I map almost like a timeline map. So if you're very much a, a, a traditional that needs to have that structure, you can pick it up. And then it'll give you a little clue that says, you don't have to read any of these to pick up this one. I'll give you enough Easter eggs to kind of get you through the story. But it's something really fun for them to be able to have a digital. Here's a little, you know, covers. Here's how you're supposed to read this because it has become one of the biggest questions that I always get about what order. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, you know, will, the be, other, will be great. I'm also curious, yes. I don't know, DC, if I can ask you, I loved your interview where you talked about how you got the USA Today bestselling status through an anthology. And of course the uh -huh. USA Today thing doesn't exist anymore, but um, you talked about working harder for nine months than you've ever worked on a launch before to get that status, to get the 6,500 sales per in that week. What were some of the learnings you had? What did you do to get the 6,500 sales? I know it was a, it was a combination of all, a lot of authors and that, you would, that you've learned that you would do again. Some of the things that I, I took for granted is the power of pre-orders. So pre-orders are amazing because it gives everybody a very designated date. Like the book is going to come out on this date. It's very things in terms of being able to market to that pre-order. And in order to do it, we did little things like, you know, cover releases to kind of 
and pub the stuff. We did a combination of giveaways, so to incentivize people to get the pre-order. Because one of the things that happens is like those pre-orders count towards release week. So the New York Times bestseller is still out there. So people who are looking for that is one of those amazing things in order to be able to build that, you know, hype, build the word of mouth, get people to promote it. Some of the things that we did that are no longer working, we did tons of Facebook posts. Well, Facebook now is a pay-to-play. So things that were working then don't work now. But you can still do it with TikTok. You know, you can still build this entire word of mouth. You can get tons of book talkers to start talking about it. But having a date that it was going to be released and knowing that the date needs to be on a Tuesday. So that way we had horrible master plan. Half of our pre-orders got lost on Amazon. So, oh, yeah, so we worked for nine months to build this, and then Amazon's like, oh, they're gone. So that last six days, it was almost like rebuilding everything because things that you don't, we don't take advantage of it. You know, you're going to pre-order a book a year in advance. If your credit card doesn't work, that pre-order's gone. You know, so if, if for whatever reason something changes in the algorithm, some things that a lot of my author, indie friend says, you know, Amazon sometimes gives preference to traditional, so your orders might disappear. But it became very much like the last week was crunch week to a whole new degree. But it gave me an appreciation of being really careful at planning, being able to promote every week, because I'm the person, I don't know if you guys can tell me the same, like I have a book that's coming out, I'm going to talk about it, and then I feel like I'm bothering people. So I talk about it a couple times, and then I'm kind of let it go. So this forced me to realize, and even being on TikTok, that in order for this to get through, people have to find your book when they're in the right mood. Mm -hmm. So the seven times doesn't count if it's not seven times in the right mood. So I have to kind of get over the fact that I was talking about a book. I'm like, I feel like I'm spamming people. They're like, they're not going to remember unless you tell them. Yeah. And things that, we, things that we did as important is telling people the why this was important to me. Mm-hmm. Why did I want you to pre-order this book? Why did I want you to help me? What this meant for me? I was like, it was a lot of my personal story why this was important in order to get it. So it changed the way I thought marketing and changed the way how I pushed things. And then it got me over the fact that I'm like, you're going to have to talk about it because nobody knows. So what are you going to do? I love that. And I can really resonate with this idea of why a book is personally important to you. You know, for me, because my main character is multicultural, she's half Asian, just like my twins are. There's such a personal connection. The fact that the books shine a light on disability awareness when I have a special needs guy in my house, you know, like it just, it's all, it is very personal, you know, kind of going back to Anthony's question of how much of yourself is in your characters. It is us putting our hearts on the page. It's us putting our own personal vulnerabilities and experiences on the page. And that's when people, that's when readers resonate. They can feel when it's real. One of the things that I learned, and I'm doing it recently, because I think it's hard for us as authors reading our own words. A lot of my friends have said, okay, you need to start reading your books. And I'm like, like, live? They're like, yes. So this is like the second week that I've been doing it, but it changes the way people see our work. Like people want to hear our words and the emphasis we put and the passion we bring and the behind the scenes is like going to those book clubs. So that really changed. So I love the fact that you're tying all these pieces together. The funny thing is readers want to know that. And when you do a book creating, they get an opportunity to hear it and feel it. And I'm like, 
oh, now I have to do this in public. Okay, let's do this. I know it's a little a lot, but it's amazing. Yeah, I did one on TikTok recently reading um, the opening lines of Always Orchid because no one can even, you know, I know, Anthony, you put your first chapter online of your upcoming release but no one is actually um, able to read the first chapter of Always Orchid yet. So I, I did read a little bit of the opening. What was the reaction? Because that's usually very like changing. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, I can't control the algorithm, right? But what I, what I found, what was interesting was my own experience of putting it out there. And now here it is, this is my third novel being released. And yet there still was that little bit of nervousness like putting yourself out there, putting a new work out there, not sure how it's going to be received. And of course, um, Orchid Blooming, Goodbye Orchid, I'm like, so I, I get these amazing heartwarming emails from people saying that they loved it. They stayed up in the middle of the night. They couldn't go to bed until they found out what happened. You know, those are, are amazing. And so um, I think that that will be the case for Always Orchid as well, but you never know 100% until it's out there. Um, what does give me some you know, and you may have this experience too, Anthony and, and DC, is um, what gives me some of that confidence is awards, you know, when book awards recognize the work and then beta readers loving it. I've had proofreaders say, oh my gosh, I almost forgot to proofread because I was so lost in the story. So I'm like, all right, good, good signs. And in fact, I feel like each of my books are so, you know, get stronger and deeper emotionally and I can't wait for people to, you know, see Phoenix and Orchid and Always Orchid. It is a beautiful story that travels from the U.S. to overseas and back um, and really puts the characters through a lot, but also has such a heartwarming, emotionally satisfying ending. Oh, that is beautiful. Anthony, anything you want to add to that? Because I'm like, oh. <laughs> no, that's great. No, it's uh, lots of great pieces of advice. Um, lots of kind of inspiration and insights into, into how you do it and what you do. And yeah, I can't wait for the more, for the new one to come out. Yeah. Please check it out. And you know, if anybody needs that map, like DC was talking about, definitely start with orchid blooming. You'll meet orchid there. Go to goodbye orchid in which you'll really hear Phoenix's story. And then I cannot wait for October for everyone to see always orchid. Oh, I love it. We're coming up to our hour. This has been amazing. And I can chat with you guys forever, but I know everybody has amazing things. So Ms. Carol, we'll start with you. Do you have any closing remarks? And once again, where can they find your work? Just huge gratitude. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, gratitude to both of you, to Vlad for putting together this community, for everyone who's you know, calling in or listening to this later, I think that it is just wonderful to come together to celebrate literature and the way that books can connect um, humans. In terms of where to find me, carolvandenhenda.com is my website, or my link tree is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash c-v-d-h to get links to my socials and my website, and also a pre-order link for Always Orchid. Awesome, awesome. Mr. Anthony, any closing remarks and where can our viewers find you? Uh, great. So, yes, uh, people can find me on Instagram as uh, Anthony underscore Curtis underscore author or go to my website, uh, anthony-curtis.com. There you can yeah, read the, the opening chapters to my novels and sign up for newsletters for the new one that's coming out in just over a month's time. Awesome. Viewers, thank you so much for joining us. 
By the way, Ms. Carol is going to be our next Pass the Baton interviewer, so you don't want to miss it. It's going to be absolutely a blast. We're going to be back here. I'll be behind the scene watching it, so I can't wait for this one. Make sure if you're interested in joining the community and being part of Pass the Baton, make sure to sign up for War Sleuth. It's on Instagram. You can DM. Make sure you get involved. If you're curious, I am also on Instagram at dc.gomez. Easy to find. And check out my website, dcgomez.author.com. And we thank you all. Hopefully, you guys have some amazing tips, this amazing collaborations. Ms. Carol, Mr. Anthony, thank you so much. You guys have an amazing day. And we'll see you again in the next Pass the Baton. Thank you. Bye. Happy weekend. Bye. Bye.